thank you for tuning in to another episode on the fintech podcast today we would like to wish a happy thanksgiving to some of our regular listeners that join us if you are new to discovering us be sure to catch up on earlier episodes and follow us at fintech mag for the latest updates now our special guest today is david gen ceo at goji and the conversation today will be talking about private assets and the importance of diversity and inclusion in the finance sector. Hope you enjoy the episode. David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the FinTech podcast. Um, how are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, I think today we just want to find out a little bit more about obviously what you do, um, you know, your career journey so far, but actually what um, your company does as well. So can you tell me about what um, Goji does and how it started? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, Goji's mission is to increase access to private assets. And we, we're doing that by building the infrastructure to make it as easy to trade private funds as it is to trade their, their mainstream counterparts. So we were we were founded almost five years ago. And um, two of the founders, uh, Jake and Alex, were they worked together at an accountancy firm together. And uh, whilst they were there, they were working on a number of advisory projects for peer-to-peer and alternative investment platforms. And uh, a number of those were, were starting at the time and they were, they were working on, on projects to help, help them understand the regulatory structure and get them up and going. And, um, and peer-to-peer's uh, been, been really successful, especially within the UK. And it's, it has been very successful amongst active investors and people who, who really get the sector. But one of the things that, that occurred to Jake and Alex was for the industry to really flourish. It, it, it can't just stay um, a niche investment. It needs to be something that's, that's much more widely adopted. And you need to look at the way that financial advisors and, and other intermediaries um, can access this asset class as well. And so, so Goji was really founded with the mission of how can we take um, these kind of private asset investments and how can we make them more a part of the the mainstream investment landscape. And, and a major barrier to, to the adoption of these kinds of assets has been a lack of technology, um, being able to join investors investors and advisors and standard investment platform technology and connect that to these kinds of new investments. And that's where I came on board to, to help build out the technology. And so, so our focus now is to, is to increase access to a whole range of different kinds of private assets and, and private funds that, that previously were only available to institutional investors and now and now a much wider range of investors want to be able to access them. Yeah, of course, it's with any business, with any business, you know, a startup company, you can still start off with branching out to a niche audience. But with having that mission in mind that you've just said, it's actually now developing it and really expanding out to, um, I suppose, a wider demographic as a company. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, one of the things that's that's really shifted over the last few years in, in the investment sector is that there are lots of these kinds of assets, things like you know, private equity um, and those kinds of investments that previously have only been available to, to pension funds previously or, or other large institutional investors. And now there's a, there's a growing demand from sophisticated individual investors to be able to access those kinds of assets as well. And I think that's, I think, especially if you look at it over the, the, the landscape of the last six months, where there's been so much market volatility that mm-hmm. for people to be able to invest in, in real assets like um, property or infrastructure, 
you know, there's there's a, a fundamental robustness to those kinds of assets that people are really looking for right now. Yeah, so um, I was actually just going to mention for a moment, obviously, you said that you've been, I think you've been with Goji, um, is it just over four years? Yes, yeah, so I've been, so I was the first employee at Goji, been with them uh, right from the start when, when it was founded. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, actually, what were you doing prior to um, to Goji? Yeah, so um, I'm a, a software developer by background. Um, so I, I joined Goji to to head up the software development team and, um, and then took over as CEO about a year and a half ago. Prior to Goji, um, I, I've, I've worked in the finance sector my whole career. So prior to Goji, I was at IG Group, which are the largest CFD trading platform um, in the UK. And before IG, I was at a company called Alpha, who mm-hmm. provide a technology to leasing and asset finance uh, companies. So, so I've always been in technology, always been in software development and always within the finance sector and looking at how we can use technology to help solve the particular problems that the finance sector has. That's great. Um, David, you know, you mentioned earlier that your mission is to obviously increase asset um, access to private assets. Could you tell me some more about private assets, you know, um, what they are and how they differ to more everyday investment products? Yes, that's a good question, because I think oftentimes we're only really exposed to what what are sort of the, the, the public investments mm. that are available. So buying stocks on a stock market, buying shares in a company, or maybe buying a fund that tracks a number of other stocks or, or ETFs, um, or maybe bonds where you're you're in you're you're buying an investment where money is lent to other companies or to a government. And I think, in, and especially with the the rise of robo advisors as well, that's often you know this is the kind of staple investment that most people will will buy into. And and the key characteristic of these these public investments are that they're very easily tradable, so you can buy and sell them on a on a public market, and you can do that really quite easily. So you can you can log on to an investment platform and buy or sell the stocks or the funds that you want to. And so private assets are the other sides of the coin. And they are much more illiquid, which means that they they are less easy to to buy and to sell. And what this means is that they can have a very different um, set of characteristics, and it means that they can have exposure to um, to, to real assets, to to things that are fundamentally illiquid. So it's difficult to have. Um, uh, so you can now have funds that maybe buy into to real estate or into private companies. And you know, once you've got a fund that's invested into say building an office block, it's mm. it's difficult to, to sell that office block once it's been bought and once it's been invested into. So you need uh, an investment vehicle, a fund that's going to um, have the same kind of timeline as the asset that's been invested into. So what private funds mean um, are that investors get access to things like real estate or to infrastructure projects like building roads or toll roads or um, energy technology like wind farms or um, solar fields, or they're invested into private companies um, that may that where it's going to be difficult to sell the underlying stock if you wanted to, which means that investors get access to these kinds of assets that, that historically have performed really well and, and don't have the same volatility characteristics that investing into the stock market does. And means that an investor can have a much more diversified portfolio as well. And I think that's what is making private assets really attractive to, to investors at the moment. Just explaining there what 
um, private assets can be. It's just something that kind of hopefully explained it a bit easier for some of our listeners. So um, thank you. <laughs> Could you tell me a, a bit more about, you know, your customers um, in particular um, at Goji and the problems that you solve for them? Yeah, definitely. So our um, our customers are typically asset managers that um, currently raise capital into these private funds. And so historically, investors into these private funds are normally institutional investors. So we're talking about pension funds or endowment funds or sovereign wealth funds. So very, very large institutions that can commit capital uh, for the long term into these kinds of funds. And because, because the fund managers are dealing with a small number of these institutional investors, it means that the processes to invest are typically very manual. So you're, you've got someone filling in um, a 50-page application form, um, processing payments is very manual, and sending updates on how the, perform, the fund is performing is also very manual as well. And so increasingly, asset managers want to make these funds um, available to high net worth investors, to individuals who have got a, a degree of sophistication in the way that they want to invest. It means that they're, they're suitable for these kinds of funds as well. And, and this can be really beneficial for the asset managers um, for a couple of reasons. One is it means they can diversify the capital that they're raising into these funds. So they're no longer just reliant on institutional investors, now they can also raise funds from, from individual investors as well. And the second benefit to asset managers is that it means they can differentiate themselves from, from their competitors. So they want to be able to attract sophisticated, high net worth individual investors. And if all they can offer them are the standard range of retail funds, then what really separates them from any other kind of asset manager? And so by being able to give them access to these private funds, um, which you know, have the unique characteristics that we talked about earlier, it means that they can really offer something of value, something that's different, um, and it's something that really helps them stand out. And, and that's really attractive to, to high net worth investors. But for an asset manager to be able to do that, um, they can't rely on the manual processes that have, have sort of have been in place for the last 10, 20, 30 years your modern day investor expects an, an online investment journey. They don't want to have to fill in the form. And they're used to being able to log on to an investment platform and trade stocks at the click of a button. So why shouldn't they be able to do that for, for private funds as well? So what Goji does is, is provide an investment platform that, that allow, gives investors a completely digital investment journey. It means they can track the performance of their portfolio in the same way they would any other kind of asset class. But crucially for the asset manager, it automates all of the manual processes that, that have previously been in place. So um, the, the whole investment journey is automated and digital. So they can really start to distribute their funds at scale in a way they've not been able to before. So really, it sounds like um, you're able to meet the consumer's needs with kind of maintaining their digital journey, let's call it that, or that digital transformation where it's actually the click of a button, they can see the progress happening. Absolutely. So it gives a digital journey to the investor. Um, very often investors will be working with a wealth manager or a private bank or some other kind of intermediary and it it gives it gives those advisors a digital journey as well and then it means for the back office staff and the asset managers a lot of the paper shuffling that would typically happen that's been automated as well so it, it increases efficiency and then gives an improved experience for everyone that's involved in the journey 
maintaining their digital journey kind of leads me on to um, my next question. Um, how has Goji experienced the effects of lockdown um, over the last six months? Obviously, due to, like we said before, people working from home or, you know, having to be at home for the majority of the time. How has that experienced um, Goji? Yeah, it's been, I think, like for everyone, there have been real ups and real downs and it's been a huge up upheaval for, for all of us. I think there, there have been some really positive factors in it, in that it's really driven automation in, in that uh, some of the, um, the counterparties that we've worked with um, who have been more resistant to, to using technology and have, have still been insistent on posting checks or posting paperwork obviously that's so much harder to do when everyone's working from home. So that's really meant that everyone's caught the technology bug and everyone's looking to automate everything that they can. So that's been really positive. Um, and I think I think for us as a company, we were pretty well set up to work from home. We had a number of people that, that would work from home two or three days a week already. And and, and so we we're very cloud-based as an organization. So uh, the, the actual decision to work from home was, was relatively easy. We could all just pick up our laptops and and go home and, and still have access to all of the systems and services that we use and all of our phone lines were voice over internet protocol so even for our operations team they could still offer exactly the same level of service to our customers mm. um I, I think what's um what's been i think more interesting for us is the the the, the, the personal and the social side of it in that as a, as a company we're, we're a real team we're really close-knit and so being able to be in the same office and and be able to collaborate and communicate so easily and, and to lose all of that I think has has been difficult you know both from a social side of not being able to see people that we really like and not being able to have lunch together not being able to do our all hands meetings together where we do normally get delivery as a company not being able to do that in the same way has, has been tough and I think also it's really shone a light on 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 you know the, the, the differences that we have in that you know some people really enjoy working from home and enjoy the focus other people you know find it really difficult they miss that social interaction and so as a company it's it's meant that we've really had to focus on on how can we meet the different needs that we that we all have but i think i think one of the the other things that is is really been positive has has been our approach to hiring you know typically we'd be very london centric with our hiring because we want people to come into the office and and now that's completely changed our view on it that we've been able to be just much more um open to working with people that that live elsewhere in the country mm. um, which means that we've been able to throw the net much wider and attract talent from across the country which i think is is great for us as a business been able to interview a much wider range of candidates but i think it's going to be great for the country as well in the sense that opportunities especially within fintech, are going to no longer be so southeast centric, so focused on London or, or the other cities because people can work from home now. So I think we'll be able to attract talent from everywhere in the country, which is going to be really I good. would say that kind of seems to be the common denominator in the fintech industry at the moment, that because so much can still be done from home with the technology side of things and just kind of maintaining a a strong unit I suppose you know that that's the impression I'm kind of getting from how the company is running with them um, with Koji at the moment that you were still able to maintain you know the working environment we're working from home and keeping the process going but it still seems to be that a lot of companies that's the thing that's um, a lot of fintech companies are missing at the moment the human side of things yeah. the actual 
interaction which I suppose looking back we kind of took for granted how you know easy it would be to be in the office to collaborate in person um but now it's trying to schedule that in with being from home and trying to keep that kind of the human side of fintech happening yeah and I think it's it's going to be and it's so difficult to kind of foresee what the next even six months is going to be like so you know we were discussing at our last all hands as a company what are we going to do at Christmas normally we would go out for a meal together as a team and go ice skating or something like that and I think if we're if we're realistic it's going to be difficult for us to, to do that this year in the way that we'd normally expect and and that's always been a real highlight of the year a chance for us to celebrate you know the successes of the last 12 months and to really have a great time together and so we it's 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 how do we how do we achieve the same sense of social cohesion if we can't necessarily be so physically present and I think it's, uh, yeah, there are going to be some some real challenges for us to think through as a team together. And I think we're just going to have to to ride the wave of, of the next three, six, 12 months and 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 adapt and respond as 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 the rest of the kind of um, situation with coronavirus develops. And and I think that, I think the key thing is is being really focused on what you want to get out of it. So we know that being been able to spark off one another and been able to enjoy time together and really been able to be really um, collaborative in the way we solve problems is 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 absolutely crucial if we're to be successful so we've, we've got to we've got to keep that and maintain that it's just going to look different and it's going to change it's going to be changing all the time and we're just going to have to not be static in the way we see that but but be as dynamic as we can absolutely so maintaining that collaboration between one another is really going to kind of continue the success that you're having. So I would probably follow on to my next question with what does the future look like for, for Koji? Yeah, so I think it's, um, we're, we're really focused on building the investment platform technology for, for our customers at the moment. But what, the way we see this developing is where we ultimately want to get to is that for investors, whether you're trading company stocks on the, on the FTSE 100, or whether you're investing into a private um, real estate fund, that the investment journey should be pretty much identical, that you should be able to log onto a platform and, and trade that investment. And, and so we want to build the infrastructure that's going to facilitate that. So we want to be uh, connecting different investment platforms with the private funds and really helping the fund ecosystem to develop to make it as efficient as possible and for investors and intermediaries to be able to invest into these assets with ease. I think one of the, the big questions for, for private assets is, is how we make it easy for people to trade on a secondary market for them as well. So people are very used to being able to, to buy socks, buy stocks and, and sell them really readily. That's never going to be the case for private funds and it shouldn't be because you're investing into a long-term asset. But there's always going to be times when you want to be able to sell out of a position. And at the moment, the lack of technology to facilitate that is a real limiting factor. So I think the two areas that we're really going to be focusing on is building the infrastructure to connect investors to these opportunities, but also to build a secondary market that makes it efficient for people to, to buy and sell them when they need to. So, David, obviously, you've just mentioned what you'll be focusing on moving forward. Um, but could you actually um, comment on what you've, I suppose, most enjoyed about your journey so far? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think I'm sure everyone that 
that you've had on this uh, on this podcast and say that the, the, the building a company from scratch is is an absolute roller coaster of a ride and you learn so much in it and it is it's kind of one of those experiences that it, it's hard to uh, grasp how much you're going to learn and, and how enjoyable and, and challenging it's going to be until until you look back on it um, and I think the the two things that that I've most enjoyed about it are solving really difficult problems with amazing people and, and building a business that, that achieves something meaningful and doing that as part of a team is a, is a real thrill um, you get to learn so much about yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses and and you get to learn so much about how you build a team that that brings together different personalities and, and different skill sets and different sets of strengths so that you're you're in the best possible place to be able to to solve the problems that you're tackling um it is yeah it's it's so much fun and um yeah i'm so pleased that we've done it i think that's one of the things i'm kind of seeing you know like you just said you know the, the different people that we have had on the podcast already hearing the voice of the company or the perspective from different companies i'm kind of witnessing um what makes up the fintech backbone that's the yeah. kind of image i have at the moment of what makes up the backbone to the company and like you said you know it's kind of not only developing it along the way but those different segments that kind of put together what makes up the company really kind of makes it sound more exciting because i think from what, what i'm hearing now it's it's not as though the company's you know stopping it's actually evolving every you know month or so with actually new innovative ideas really creating kind of your mission yeah and i think that's that's the key to to being successful is because you you start a business with a particular idea of the needs that your customers have or the opportunities that you want to bring to your customers and and the real the the, the real key to success is kind of you you go out and you test that and you see if you've got that right and invariably you are 70 80 percent right but but what's crucial is that you're able to to make up for that 20 or 30 percent that maybe you were slightly off the mark or you hadn't factored some information in and so it's how quick you how quickly you can learn and and adjust course slightly to be able to take on that new information and that's that's the whole idea of the lean startup is going around the the build measure learn cycle and you have an idea you you, you go and test that with the market were you right yes you were okay keep going down that path if you get a slightly different feedback from your customers than you then you adjust slightly and as, as you go down that road you just learn more and more and it's it's the ability to take that learning on that's going to um, enable you to to really meet the needs of your customers so um i suppose one thing i, I wanted to mention is we can clearly see how challenging um 2020 has been at the moment yeah. um with you know COVID and everything else going on, it's, it's affecting um, a lot of businesses. Um, but we're also seeing actually some businesses kind of evolve with the times, um, especially with the idea of diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, it's an important topic uh, for the financial sector at the moment. Um, I was going to ask, what, what does that mean to, um, to Goji? I think, um, like I, I said earlier, it's, it's having a diverse team where you've got different personalities, different strengths, different skill sets, different ways of viewing the world. That's what gives you the best chance of success. And I think it would be, it's so easy to, to build a team where everyone's like you. And so everyone sees problems in the same way and you end up building an echo chamber where yeah. <laughs> you, everyone agrees with the ideas that you've come up with and, and you can be completely unaware of the glaring weaknesses and, 
in what you're proposing to do. So I think from a from a business point of view, um, having as varied a team as possible is is crucial to 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 being creative, to being innovative, to ensure that you've identified all the threats and the risks to what you're doing, and and really been able to to to, to best serve your customers and, and best bring a great product to market. Um, so I think from that point of view, diversity is just just makes complete sense and and all the research that's you know gone into what make teams succeed shows that it's not about necessarily having the, the the smartest people on the team it's about having teams that can really be creative together and really be innovative and, and share ideas and and see things differently but I think there are some some really unique challenges within within the finance sector because finance it, it plays such a central role in society. And if we look at the, the challenges that we face in society, whether that's um, the obvious kind of healthcare challenges that we're facing at the moment with, with COVID, whether it's energy demand and global warming, whether it's building enough housing, whether it's the responsible use of data and AI, whether it's looking at economic inequality, all of these problems have, a, have they got a financial element to it in that. You know, we need to get the right kind of financial investment into um, organizations and businesses that are solving those kinds of problems. And so we need leadership within financial companies. They're going to have a broad range of perspectives for, for how we solve those particular problems. You know, so, for example, you know, imagine we've got um, a fund manager that's, that's looking to invest into building housing in a, in a city. Um, and they want to, you know, to invest into property developers that are going to provide that housing. You know, there's there's a whole range of issues that need to be considered there, both you know, social and, and economic. And if if you don't have leaders within those businesses that have maybe grown up in an inner city, then you're going to be completely lacking that that perspective in the way those decisions are made, which means you run the risk that you know the wrong decisions will be made or or the needs of society won't be properly factored in so I think it it's just essential that we that we have leadership within within finance that that represents the society that we live in that represents the world um, that we live in I think I think for for goji that there have been I think two ways this is that we're really looking at this at the moment I think one is the impact of covid and, and the lockdown that we've been through and the constant changing to life has has really shone a light on just how different we are as a team and how we have different needs. And we talked about a bit about this earlier. You know, we've got we've got introverts that love working from home. We've got extroverts mm. are really missing being in an office with other people. We've got people that have young families. We've got um, single people living in flat shares and, and and everything in between. And and so everyone's experienced lockdown differently, and and we all have different needs. And creating an environment where we can talk about those needs and and, the, and and how as a company we can support one another to, to work effectively and to and to deal with the challenges that we're all facing at the moment you know it's, it's there's no one size fits all and so to be a truly diverse company we we need to be able to have those conversations and and then make decisions to tweak the way we work to to respond to that but also for hiring as well you know if, if you want a diverse team you've got to be really deliberate in the way that you hire so we're having to think about things like when we put job descriptions out, are are they are they focused on just one kind of candidate, or are you being really deliberate in the way you write your job descriptions to be as open to as many kinds of um, candidate as as possible? 
are we working with recruiters to make sure that we get as diverse a short list of candidates as possible? And then looking at the way we that we interview as well. So we've ditched the idea of a culture interview. Too often culture interviews are set up just to find people that are just like you. They're just a copy of you. Um, I remember being in culture interviews in previous roles where it's you always went into it thinking, is, is this the kind of person that I'd want to go to the pub with? And that's mm. not necessarily the, an, an objective way of hiring for people. So we've ditched culture interviews and we're using values interviews in, instead, which are, I think are a more objective way of kind of finding people that can you know, have a, a wide range of personalities or views on the world, but they can still have the same core values as you. And, and that's much, much more important. I think with what you've just mentioned, with it being from what you said before about having um, sometimes an echo chamber doesn't work yeah. well for a business because you're all constantly on the same page. You know, there's not it's not as though a new chapter is being written. You're kind of yeah. just hearing yourselves. Um, but I think we're just mentioning, you know, how the example of lockdown has affected everyone. Yeah, it kind of seems to be for um, some business, some businesses, not necessarily fintech businesses, but to have people working from, <clears throat> excuse me, have people working from home, you forget that everyone is on a different page with being at home and how they're living and how they're still adapting with everything going on, whether it's, you know, they're in a house share or, you know, whatnot. I think one thing which seems to be quite significant at the moment is the collaboration that you have, you know, you hit the nail on the head with having different people from different backgrounds doesn't, need to be anything in particular it's just actually having that different opinion having that different idea come across the board that's actually something which can be developed practiced you know to at least have that idea kind of put out there instead of just going through the same ideas of innovation it's actually trying to take those challenges try and see if it works well if it doesn't would, would you say that that's something that's actually seems to be more significant in 2020 that people have kind of realized that it's more important to try and collaborate better in different ways not not just to these the standard ways of doing it I, I think definitely because there's no playbook for this um you know there's no this isn't something that any of us have ever experienced before and mm. so it's, it's not been, like we were given any manual <laughs> exactly so and and which actually as as leaders in a business it makes it so much easier to say hey guess what we we don't have all the answers here we don't know the right way to to respond to this necessarily we don't know the right way to ensure that we're all collaborating as well as we might do which means that you can throw the discussion open and and, and, and everyone's you know it's on a much more level playing field in terms of being able to get ideas for what is the right way to run a meeting on zoom or you know how do we make sure that you know everyone can participate in discussions what is the right way to use slack so that people aren't spending all day uh, just responding to messages and I think it's it's made it much more okay for people to to have those kind of open discussions where there's not necessarily a right answer that everyone needs to get. Mm. Um, David I think um, this is probably one of um, the last questions I had for you. Um, you've, you've mentioned some of this before but um, I suppose one thing which would be deemed more as a challenge um that, that you've had you know could you just kind of talk about what has been the toughest challenge you've faced or you know to put it into a positive the biggest lesson you've learned yeah I think I know there have been so many and I think that's the, the great thing about being in a company at this stage of its journey is you just get you know you get to learn so much all the time and that pace of learning is is so fast I think I think probably 
there, there have been some real challenges over the last few months. You know, I think not being to be able, not being able to be present physically with team members when they're having a difficult time has been really tough. Like it's 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 hard to you know, when you, there, there are times where you just want to be able to grab a cup of coffee with someone and talk yeah. to them about what's going on, and and to doing that over Zoom quite frankly just sucks sometimes mm. when you just want to be with someone. I think so that that's been that's been been hard to do. I think probably some of the, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned over over this this time with Goji is that there's no one pattern for what good business leadership looks like. It's, it's, we are, we're very good at holding up certain kinds of leaders and saying they're an amazing leader and to be successful you must be like that. So you know we you know we might hold up Steve Jobs or someone like that and say that you know they were phenomenally successful at the way that they grew their business and and to be successful means you need to be like that and and Steve Jobs was incredibly successful and really changed the way that the business leadership was viewed but it doesn't mean you need to be like him to be successful and I think learning to to look at the skills that you bring the the personality type that you bring and the 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 approach to problem solving that you bring and really owning that and really focusing on those strengths um, and um, not trying to be someone else, not trying to feel that you have to fit another mold has been a, a really important lesson to learn. And I think that we we need more of that. I think we, we need a whole variety of different styles of leadership in order for different companies to succeed and grow. And, and being able to be comfortable in that can be really tough sometimes because there are definitely times when you doubt yourself and um, you wish that you could be more like someone else and, and actually to say, well, no, actually what I bring to the table is enough. Uh, what I bring mm. to the table is exactly what's needed and, and to really have confidence in that. Yeah, that can be tough sometimes. It's good for any business to have that admiration, I suppose, you know, that um, idea of a goal that you're reaching, whether it's someone else in the industry where you think they, you know, they've proved success. That's something that I want to take into my business. But having that importance of still creating your own path, you know, as a business, for any business, it's hard to maintain certain challenges and still be unique in our own sense. But it's actually a positive to try and, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel, you're actually adapting to it, you're creating your own path and taking those different goals from, you know, different admirations, like I said, you're then fixing it into your own image. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, I think especially in, in an age where we get access to so much information, it's very easy to feel like you, you have to imitate the particular kind of image that people are curating um, online. But I think if you, you know that if you there was so there have been so many different kinds of leaders throughout history that have been successful both in business and outside of business, that it's often often times only one kind of leader that gets publicity and press. But you know, if you if you read biographies of different kinds of leaders, there've been so many different kinds of people that have been successful in all kinds of different challenges and um, and scenarios. So just to be comfortable in your own skin and and just really go for it and give it everything you've got is 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 really all you need to do. I think that that's a positive note to end on, um, especially for this podcast. Um, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else um, you'd like to talk about today before we um, end the conversation? 
No, it's just been really good to be with you. Thanks so much for, for inviting me onto the podcast. And yeah, it's been a really good chat. Yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I've learned a lot. I know a lot of our listeners will definitely be um, learning a lot more about, obviously, um, yourself and uh, the topics we've discussed and um, Goji as well. So thank you so much for your time. Charlotte, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.